Thank you for tuning in to the Practical Preservation Podcast. Please take a moment to visit our website, practicalpreservationservices.com, for additional information and tips to help you restore your historical home. If you've not done so, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and also like us on Facebook. Welcome to the Practical Preservation Podcast, hosted by Danielle and Jonathan Kepperling. Kepperling Preservation Services is a family-owned business based in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, dedicated to the preservation of our built architectural history for today's use as well as future generations. Our weekly podcast provides you with expert advice specific to the unique needs of renovating a historic home, educating by sharing our from-the-trenches preservation knowledge and our guests' expertise, balancing modern needs while maintaining the historical significance, character, and beauty of your period home. Today on the Practical Practical Preservation Podcast, I have Matthew Christopher uh, with me from Abandoned America. Thank you for joining me today. Sure. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. So uh, tell me about your background. Um, My background is I have been photographing abandoned buildings for about uh, 15 years. I've been sharing them and it's it's been about 20 years that I've been visiting them. Uh, I've set up the website and book series Abandoned America and I teach photo workshops and that's that's kind of my life now is traveling around and visiting abandoned places. But I um I I I mentioned when we were prepping for this that I have bought your book as presents and I followed your page. Um and I the the one one of the ladies that used to work in our office, she loves abandoned buildings and she, she that's who I bought the book for. And she she I told her that I was interviewing you today and she was so excited. So okay. <laughs> yeah. I hope so, she liked yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, I think she, she loves abandoned buildings. She tries to get me to go to abandoned buildings with her. I'm not that brave. So <laughs> when, when we have to, when we have to go into buildings to do um, like our selective demolition, which is when we go in and take out like sections that they're, they don't want the abatement crew to damage or whatever. And then we're, we take them back and put them back in. There have been times I've had to step over dead animals and stuff. And that, that does it for me. So <laughs> I can't, I can't imagine well, the well, things you Tell her, I mean, uh, you know, if, if she comes across any good ones, you know, guy. So. Okay, I will. <laughs> <laughs> so why did you decide to start uh, documenting abandoned buildings? I got into this, uh, I started working in the mental health field, and okay. I really didn't have a, much of a background in that, to be honest, um, was something I did just right out of undergrad in college. Um, and I really got fascinated with the American mental health system and kind of like the, you know, the, um, I, I don't know what you'd call it, like a Shakespearean tragedy, you know, right. that it is, uh, in terms of, um the poor care that people received and just the idea of, of being like incarcerated for your whole life when you haven't committed a crime, it's, it's kind of wild. So, um, in the process of doing this, I started reading about the state hospitals and asylums and institutions and things like that. And so basically from there, there was one in particular that was in Philadelphia, Philadelphia state hospital. It's also known as Byberry. And, the more I read about it, the more I was like, well, this is right where I live. I mean, why don't I go see it? It's been abandoned for a few years. And 
you know, to kind of cut a long story short on that, um, essentially, once I went there, that was really a, a revelatory thing, seeing this place that I had been reading about so much. And, you know, just kind of going through firsthand what was left of it. And after that point, I, I mean, I was hooked. I, I started with other state hospitals, but then it became schools and factories and prisons and power plants and you know, abandoned ocean liner and uh, churches and pretty much anything else you can think of. I've been to at this point, but I think originally it started um, with an interest in history and a feeling like these places really have important stories to share that all too often don't get told. I, I agree with you. And I, I think it's interesting based on the, the photos that I've seen of yours, how much stuff gets left behind. Like people just walk out. <laughs> right. And, yeah. you know, there, there are a million different reasons for that. And that's one of the things like in the books or on my website that I kind of try and go over is what is the story and how did this happen? But um, for example, like if you have a business and they go through bankruptcy, um, there was a, an abandoned coat factory in my first book that uh, had thousands. I really think thousands is a fair estimate of coats that were high end. They were all in um, their plastic slip covers still, and uh, they were really in good condition. I mean, these are things that you would be paying, you know, a good price for it, like Nordstrom. Right. And um, the reason is they went bankrupt. They, uh, all of that stuff is kind of like collateral on debt, but it's worthless to a bank. I mean, they're not going to go into the coat selling. Right. <laughs> um, so you have a lot of situations like that where, um, at least with a place that goes bankrupt, where sometimes they're just closed up, nobody's able to get anything out. And then, um, because of the fact that it's not really worth it to the people that own the debt on the place, uh, they just sit there. Or, you know, conversely, when it comes to state hospitals, for example, um, you know, what does the state care if they waste our money? <laughs> right. Well, that's true. <laughs> that's, 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 a, that's a very true statement. <laughs> so um, tell me about Abandoned America. You know, how did I, you kind of told me how you got started, but like, what, what do you do? Like you, you go, you, you go out and document properties do people send you send you in the the like sites to go see or do you kind of have a list of like your bucket list of abandoned sites oh i always have a incredibly large bucket list that uh kind of eats at me um to be honest like i sit and think about the places and i'm like oh i have to get there you know but um it's really through a variety of ways. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, there have been plenty of places like the state hospitals where it's just been kind of like, you know, uh, going in through an unboarded door. But as I've got older, um, I've worked with historical societies, I've worked with architects, I've worked with preservation groups, I've worked with, um, you know, development, uh, like, um, the contract, even demo companies, uh, oh, yeah. salvage places, um, basically anybody that has an end to these buildings. And um, that's, that's kind of the way that uh, I've, I've worked on this. And I mean, it's, it's really beneficial. I think one of the things that people often, when they look at a place, they think, okay, well, it's abandoned. There's a stigma to it. People are going to think, you know, this building's an eyesore, or a piece of garbage or something. But having really nice photos of a place um, beforehand shows that, you know, uh, 
the work that was done to restore it. I mean, the comment that I get all the time is it's so sad that nobody's restoring this. And it's like, well, if you're doing a restoration job on a place and you have somebody like me come in and photograph it beforehand, um, you know, that you're the hero in the right. story. Um, and, and I think, you know, that's a little bit of a, a hard point to get across to some people, but I think people are gradually coming to understand that. If you're a salvage company, I mean, it's cool to show where the things come from. Um, so basically it's gone from being something where, you know, I was basically sneaking into places that were, um, you know, left or rot uh, to something that is um, a job that I work on full time and, and um, has really benefited a lot of people. I, I, I mean, I, I hope at least. Uh, yeah. I had never, I had never thought about the salvage companies, but that gives them some kind of uh, providence too of like where these came from and where you know the building that they were in rather than just saying it you can show it that I, that makes a lot of sense to make that connection to me yeah yeah and and you know that's the one thing when I go through um and and granted I'm me so you know of course I'm going to think this way but when I the first thing I think when I go into a museum um or a salvage company or anything where they have historical artifacts is, oh my God, I wish I could see what this thing, where it was found. Right. You know, what did it look like? And, and I mean, believe it or not, that's, that's a selling point. So, um, you know, when I work with these people, typically, I mean, I do work as a commercial uh, architectural photographer too. So let's mm -hmm. say that you had an abandoned hotel and then you restored it. Um, the abandoned part, like I, you know, I would do that for free because <laughs> that's, that's what I do, you know, and, yeah. and on the other end, if somebody wants to hire me to do the architectural photography, like before and after stuff afterwards, I, I do that as well. But um, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much how it works. And a lot of it um, now is, is uh, teaching photo workshops at select locations that are safe enough and have the owner's um, uh, permission and blessing and cooperation. And I basically lease the property for a day, bring a small group of photographers in, and um, people absolutely love it. I mean, the uh, property owners love it because it's a, a very positive experience and the people are really friendly and grateful to be there. And also, I mean, they're carrying out, um, you know, a narrative about what they're doing with the property. So it's not just like, you know, somebody sneaking in and saying, look at this spooky old factory here, or whatever. The right. people are coming out and saying, hey, this guy has plans to turn this into condos. We were lucky enough to get in beforehand. So, yeah, definitely. And do you, are you still doing the workshops um, even with, with the pandemic or have you, have you stopped that for a while? Well, last year was, was pretty interesting uh, for, for me as for everybody. I mean, right. um, last year, uh, so I had been doing domestic workshops primarily and last year was the one where I was like, I finally made enough money and I have enough connections and time that I'm gonna start doing these overseas. So in 2020, I had one book for Greece. I had three book for Chernobyl. I oh, had no. yeah, one book for the country of Georgia. And so a lot of my chips were on overseas travel. And as you might imagine, it didn't work out so well in that sense. I mean, you know, uh, we've postponed the trips. I've given refunds where people have asked for them. Um, but that was a hit uh, in terms of, you know, uh, very challenging situation to work around. But I have started doing um, 
domestic ones again. And, you know, they're fully insured. I make sure that everybody, everybody, everybody wears a mask at all times. Right. And um, I've also cut out the ones that I had previously. Like, for example, there's this really gorgeous theater um, that I tend to do them at. And I just don't feel comfortable doing that because it's an enclosed space because it's, um, you know, you have to have people in the same area to shoot without getting other people in their shots um, versus some of the ones that I am doing now, like um, an enormous Dixie cup factory where, um, and I forget the square footage off the top of my head, but it's enormous. So you probably have like at least, you know, 5,000 square feet per person or something like that. If right. not, that's, that's probably a, a gross underestimation actually, because yeah. Um, and that's something that I prefer to do because, you know, people all have their own space. They can all kind of do their own thing and spread out and everything. Um, but you get out of your house. And yes. I think that's been really super important because all the people that are on them have been like, oh, my God, I've been stuck in my house like for months. And <laughs> yeah. I have, too. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> some, some human interaction. <laughs> uh-huh. Right. Without worrying that, you know, it's, it's uh, going to cost you your life. Right. Yes. Yes. Um, I was thinking, uh, oh, um, so tell me about this, the types of sites you document. I think you mentioned some of them, the churches and prisons and the mental health facilities. Um, Were there other, um, are there other sites that you've documented? Essentially, I mean, I I would say in, um, I think it's a fairly safe bet that if you can think of a certain type of property out there, I've probably photographed it. And um, I find that everything has something significant about it. I mean, you know, on one hand, like, okay, let's say that you had a totally gutted factory and it's just walls. You you know how factories are where they have that kind of like walls and pillars and nothing else inside. That probably wouldn't really be as photographically interesting but um, there's really no sort of property that I can't uh, find something of, of value in other than that, as long as there's some sort of trace uh, left behind. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I'm, I'm sort of trying to think if there's anything that's on my list that I haven't gone to. I mean, maybe like, I don't know, a palace. Uh, <laughs> actually, that's not true, India. Um, I was in, in, in a palace in India, so... Um, yeah, but uh, I would I would think really I've I've covered pretty much as many of the bases as I can. Yeah, and I think um, I think that I know that you do some modern buildings like you did. Is there you've done a mall correct? Like a mall that's mm-hmm. that's empty. Um, but I think the work that you do on the older buildings really highlights you know how our public buildings used to be constructed. You know some of the architectural features. I mean, I've I've gone on the tour of Eastern Penitentiary and there's, there's architectural features in there that you wouldn't think to put in, in, uh, in an institution now, you know, an institutional facility. Um, so I just, I think that's really interesting and it shows, you know, kind of maybe different, different values, different, different things, how our values have shifted. Absolutely. And, and that's a, a really great observation on them because, you know, when you look at it, and I realize the church isn't, um, you know, technically a public building, but for the sake of example, because it would be applicable to those two, when you look at um, churches as they were built like 100 years ago, they were built to 
compete with the cathedrals of Europe. They were built right. to be there for centuries. I mean, that was what people were thinking when they built them was, we're going to put this thing down and it's going to be there 500 years from now. So we better make it good. And um, it was the same thing if you were building a grand courthouse or, you know, all of these buildings were built with uh, the idea of um, permanence, but also with, um, I don't know how to put it, like, like showing a stake in the communities and, mm, right. uh, and, and current architecture, I mean, is, is really designed to be disposable. Like you build an Applebee's specifically so that you can recycle it when you're done, or you can take the Applebee's sign off and put a Ruby Tuesday sign on or something right. like that. Yeah. And it's, it's just a completely different ethos. Now that's not to say that those things aren't significant because 50 years from now or a hundred years from now, people will still be like, well, what were malls like, you know? Right. Um, but yeah, that idea of a lifespan of a building is just completely shot. I mean, there's no such thing anymore. No, no. And I, I agree. And the struggle, like, cause we're getting into um, the point cause the, the um, national register is 50 years may usually may starts to make a building significant. So we're getting into like the split levels and the, mm -hmm. and the ranchers from the mid-century modern, modern era, but they were not, those materials were not made to be durable, like the, you know, like using the, the more traditional material. So it's, it's really an interesting, um, an interesting, you know, conundrum in within preservation. Um, I love it, reading about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I, so tell, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, that's okay. I didn't mean to cut you off. I was going to say, go ahead. I, yeah. You, oh, you look I, like you were going to say something else on that. No, I don't no, go ahead. I was, I was going to, I was going to ask you about, about your other stuff. So you can tell me what you were thinking about the. Um... Oh, I just think that's a, it's a, it's a super interesting subject. I mean, I, I love uh, seeing people debate like brutalism. You know, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we should save it but we hate it you know that right <laughs> well yeah yesterday I was I was I was talking to my dad and we all worked together until like three or four years ago when my parents retired so I was I was chatting with him when when I was having lunch yesterday and he was like he was like, well, in my opinion, there's really hasn't been an architectural style since the Victorians. And I started listing the architectural style since the Victorians. And he's like, oh, yeah, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I said that to the wrong person. <laughs> that's funny. It, 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 architectural styles that he likes. Maybe that should be what he <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. 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 So, um, so tell me about your, your books and your prints and your workshops, the different things that you, that you do in addition to your photography. Sure. I mean, um, as, I, as I mentioned with the workshops, they're, you know, they're usually set up in abandoned places that are safe enough um, and where the owners are interested in, in sharing their place with people and, and sort of having people come in. I've, I've done them in, oh my gosh, a bunch of different places. I mean, it's been, I think this is my eighth year. It is my eighth year. Um, I've done them at uh, like Scranton Lace in Scranton, Pennsylvania, Dixie oh, Factory cool. in Allentown, um, the SS United States, uh, which is a abandoned ocean liner. Um, I did that very early on. And, and if anybody's wondering, no, I, that, that one's out of the rotation. Sorry. <laughs> um, let me think. Uh, carry furnaces uh, in in the Pittsburgh area. I, I've done one at a trolley graveyard, an abandoned silk mill. Um, so, there, and and that's just a few of them. I mean, I, I could 
probably think up a couple dozen more if uh, I had the time. But basically, you know, it's just something where it's like a managed event where people can come in and actually see it. And that was that was kind of an outgrowth of um, when I got my master's in photography. So, you know, I worked in mental health and I wound up not really wanting to spend my life in that field. It's a little draining. Um, And so I went back, I got a master's in photography. I was planning on teaching at a college level. And then I found out what colleges pay. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I did the same thing. (laughs) I didn't get my master's degree in photography, but I'm like, oh, I'll work as an adjunct professor, you know, in the evenings, it'll be fun. I can, you know, teach marketing, whatever. And then I found out what they paid and I decided I didn't want to do that. Oh my gosh. I know it's terrible. (laughs) That's funny. I, I, then, then you absolutely know. I mean, it's like you put in all this work and, uh, I think that was the only paycheck in my life that I was really just angry at. Like I opened the paycheck (laughs) and I was like, what? (laughs) I spent that much time for this, but, um, But anyway, so that was, you know, that point was when I kind of realized that working for myself on this was was better. I get to be my own boss, which is good and bad. Um, But yeah, I mean, I'm always out and um, shooting things, too. So I'm hoping that as as the dust settles with uh, COVID and and I hope to God we can kind of go back to normalcy. um, You know, I, I still have plans to go abroad and, you know, shoot castles in Poland and, um, you know, go back to Chernobyl. Like I really, really wanted to go back there because I mean, you know, it's an entire city and I was there for five days. So, um, four days and yeah, I mean, there's just no way that you can see everything or experience it completely in that amount of time. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's, I don't think there are very many people out there that have got to a point where they can really say like, this is my career. And when people ask me that and I tell them, they're always kind of like, really? <laughs> or you don't, are you sure you don't do something like for your real job? What is your real job? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> oh, that, I, I, I don't usually ask people, but I, um, I often will, some, like if somebody has something interesting that they're doing, I'm like, I wonder how that works. Like I, I try to figure out the business model, but that's kind of my, how my mind works. But I, I can see your business model. So I, I haven't, I haven't really wondered. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I think with any freelancer, you just, you yeah. put a lot of lines in the water and hope you catch enough fish, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and so the workshops might be one of the, the main tent pole, but uh, like you said, I sell prints of the work that I do. I have books that I sell. I do lectures. Um, so, you know, it's, it's kind of like, uh, that's, that's the plus and minus of being your own boss. The, the plus is that, you know, I don't have to get up at like six in the morning, but the, uh, minus is that if I don't do the work, it doesn't get done. So (laughs) (laughs) that's very true. And there's nobody to yell at, but yourself. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, um, what uh, trends or and or and or challenges do you see in in kind of what you see in preservation? Oh boy, I mean, there's. I think there's a lot. I think um, for one thing, um, there's a model that 
looks at places solely for immediate financial gain mm -hmm. and loss rather than long-term benefit. So for example, um, you know, talking about that grand old cathedral that, you know, people built in their neighborhood. I don't know why I'm on a church trip today, but you know, whatever. <laughs> okay. I'm just <laughs> with it. Um, or, or, okay. I mean, we could even use like a, a huge state hospital for that, you know, and you say, okay, well, you know, it'd be cheaper to tear this down and to just rebuild something else there. But the preservation aspect of it really has, I think, more of an investment in the community. I think people are more drawn to places like that. They're landmarks. Um, and and uh, one of the things that I feel that people are already kind of finding out um, as time goes on is that, that when you have communities, like one of the ones in Pennsylvania that I always think of is like Jim Thorpe. Um, oh, yeah. Have you ever been there? I have. Then, you know, it's like, it's like a really beautiful little town where they kept a lot of their historic buildings and people go there because it's neat to see all of that. Right. Um, it's a unique area. Whereas, you know, if you flatten an area and build a bunch of strip malls that you could see literally anywhere in the United States, there's no draw for people to go there. Right. Um, but, but getting people to realize the value of those things is really, really tough, especially when, uh, you know, you're just thinking in terms of like immediate financial gain. Um, and, and, you know, for example, in Philadelphia, which is where I live, um, I love Philadelphia. It's a fantastic city and it's, you know, the first world heritage uh, uh, city in the U.S., I believe. Um, but it's like every every time I go into the middle of the city, I'm like, where'd that block go? They just tore it down. Goodness, yeah. And um, you can't replace things like that. They're finite. So for example, with Philadelphia, I mean, they already destroyed the last of the movie palaces, the void um, that was there. And you know, you don't, you can't, you don't get it back when it's gone. Right. Um, so yeah, that I gone. think, yeah, it's that, you know, when you're talking about challenges, I think, the fact that a that you're competing with a short-term ledger on things mm -hmm. and b that uh convincing people of the long-term value can be really difficult and then c sorry about that uh okay. package delivery c when it's gone it's gone so yeah i i i totally and i i appreciate your work because you do go in as you know, you're you're fighting demolition by neglect in a lot of these places that are completely abandoned, that are you know are not people are not working on redevelopment or whatever. You know, you're that that the next time you go, you could have lost a wall. You know what I mean? Like the it's mm -hmm. the, the 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 building is just deteriorating. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, time is uh, is very cruel, and you know, it's a uh, Richard Nickel, one of my favorite photographers of abandoned places. He did a lot of uh, Louis Sullivan's buildings in Chicago as they were being torn down during the urban renewal said, uh, paraphrasing, great architecture has uh, two enemies, um, water and stupid men. Yes. And, <laughs> you know, like, I, I think uh, exactly over time, um, it gets harder and harder to do. But the flip side of that is that, um, people don't realize how many treasures we have that um, were just about lost. For example, the uh, Ellis Island Immigration Museum. I right. always think of that one. I mean, that was that was in horrible shape when 
Lee Iacocca, I think, was the one yes. who paid the money to restore it. Yeah, yeah, and and that was, and 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 that should have been, you know, that should have been a national park site. You know, it's it, it tells the story of a large portion of of immigration into America. You know, like so, you know, it, it is. It's it's kind of it's kind of um, it's interesting sometimes where where the priorities are, um, at least initially. Um, so is there anything that you um, thought of while we were talking that maybe I didn't think to ask you or that you wanted to share? I mean, um, no, you you really covered a lot of uh, great bases. I, I could talk about this for hours, but, um, <laughs> you know, and, and I, actually, I, I think you have a lot of really good observations about this stuff, because I think, um, you know, a lot of a lot of people tend to look at it a bit more superficially, and you can tell it's something that, um, you know, you, you have that kind of background and understanding of. So I, I think really, I mean, the only thing would be that um, if you want to follow my work, it's uh, on social media. If you look me up as Abandoned America, I'm on pretty much everything as that. Uh, if you Google Abandoned America, uh, you can go to my website, abandonedamerica.us. It's uh, good for wasting a lot of time because <laughs> uh, there are a lot of galleries on it. So um and uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I have, I have like the books and workshops and everything like that, but you know, people come to those when they're interested. I would just say um, maybe perhaps that if any of your listeners are people that are working with restoration or do have access to these places, um, maybe consider getting in touch uh, with me. My email is admin at amandinamerica.org. Um, and you know, again, you can find that on the website, but if you have access to a place like that, I'd, I'd love to talk to somebody uh, who does about that because oh, definitely. Um, I think it could be really super beneficial to um, showing, you know, what the past of a place is and people really appreciate. There's definitely a subset of people and I can tell you're one that appreciate people who appreciate the past. Yes, 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 yes. That's, that is um, that is what we that is what we do. So it it it, it felt like a good fit, and I have enjoyed our conversation. Um, your workshops and those other things are on the website also for if somebody was interested. Okay, very good. Well, I thank you very much. I I really have enjoyed our conversation, and I appreciate I appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you too. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and um, you know, again, I I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. Okay, thank you. Thanks for listening to the Practical Preservation Podcast. The resources discussed during this episode are on our website at practicalpreservationservices.com forward slash podcast. If you received value from this episode and know someone else that will get value from it as well, please share it with them. Join us next week for another episode of the Practical Preservation Podcast. For more information on restoring your historic home, visit practicalpreservationservices.com.